Welcome to One Screened Every Minute. I'm Elizabeth Callanan. To begin, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording on today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Ask any expectant parent what they want for their child and they'll likely tell you, I just hope they're happy and healthy. Increasingly, people are seeking reassurance and peace of mind through non-invasive prenatal screening, or NIPT. At as early as 10 weeks, a simple blood test can provide information about the likely genetic makeup of the foetus. But what happens when the results are unexpected? When they raise more questions than answers? In one screened every minute, I'll bring you conversations with ordinary people who have received extraordinary information about their pregnancy. In each episode, we hear how they understood and navigated the options available to them after receiving screening results showing a high chance of chromosomal differences. These stories are shared so we can learn but not judge, and they need our urgent attention. Today on One Screened Every Minute, I'm speaking with Belinda. When Down syndrome is diagnosed prenatally, we know that 9 out of 10 prospective parents will choose termination. Despite this, it's not often openly discussed. I'm grateful that Belinda has agreed to talk with me about her experience of non-invasive prenatal screening and termination following a trisomy 21 diagnosis. Belinda grew up as a hearing child of deaf parents. She's a full-time professional and mother of four children. Through a number of Facebook groups, Belinda provides peer support to other women who are considering their options following a high-chance screening result, as well as connecting with those seeking post-termination support. Belinda, thanks for joining me today. It's great to be speaking with another interstate guest, just so long as you don't tell me all about the fun stuff that you're getting up to over there while we're still in lockdown here in Melbourne. Um, But that's okay. We're heading in the right direction here. Thank you. It's great to uh, speak with you. Thank you. Um, So our conversation today will be about prenatal screening Mm -hmm. and in particular your experiences in relation to non-invasive prenatal screening. I wonder, can you tell me how you first heard about non-invasive prenatal screening? I first heard about non-invasive prenatal screening through my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law, who was pregnant at the time, had told me about a blood test called a Harmony test and how that enabled her to find out gender. And she also spoke about what the prenatal screening was for, um, However, I, it, it kind of washed over me. I, I, my attention was more so directed at the fact that she could find gender out at a lot earlier point in time in her gestation than I found out gender for my three children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a bit of research on the internet and discovered that you could pay for some screening privately. And so I organised to do that through Victorian Clinical Genetic Services. 
And so Belinda, this was when you, so you had three children already at this point, and um, this is when you were pregnant with your, it was your fourth pregnancy. That's right. So I had an unexpected fourth pregnancy and I was quite unsure what to do with that fourth pregnancy. So I went and got some counselling, but I was continuing and I thought it would be really helpful to know the gender. So my main focus was finding out gender. Um, My mind did not so much turned to what prenatal screening is all about. Um, I saw it as, I guess, a tick box of assurance, something that you go through in pregnancy to give yourself peace of mind. Mm. Um, And I was just going through the motions. Similar to my previous three pregnancies where you would undertake the blood test and um, undertake an ultrasound, to get a chance uh, result, um, but I, my mind didn't turn much further than that. I just saw it as a tick box exercise, something that I had done before, and this was just the more modern equivalent. Sure. And with your previous three pregnancies, the combined first trimester screening that you undertook, mm-hmm. the results that were returned to you, they didn't show any higher chance results or? That's right. Um, With my previous three pregnancies, the combined screening didn't come back with any high chance. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, I'd never experienced being in a high risk category or having been told that I was high risk in my previous three pregnancies. I was told it was a low risk and then I just proceeded on to the 20 week ultrasounds without turning my mind to any concern or uh, as to being a high chance pregnancy and having to decide what to do with that information. Mm, mm. And so there was a conversation with your GP, but it wasn't your GP that you did the screening through. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I went through VGCS um, and I downloaded a form from the internet and I took it along with me to the GP because I'd need a, a GP to request it. Most people call it the Harmony Test or Panorama, um, but I, I didn't go through Harmony. I went through an Australian lab, yeah. Sure. And what was the conversation? So you, you went along to your GP mm-hmm. with the the form that you'd printed out from the internet, what was the conversation like with your GP? Do you remember? I don't recall. I think it was just more of a procedural type conversation. I don't think we really discussed what the um, the test was all about. And I was the one who initiated it. So mm, it, mm. it wasn't initiated at all by the GP. I was the one who had done that background research and asked my GP to assist me with those forms. But I guess because I had done the research and was requesting for the test, we didn't get into too much in-depth discussion. Mm, mm. I'm wondering whether VCGS you know, undertook any pre-test counselling with you or, or what sort of information did they provide you with? Yeah. I didn't undertake any pre-test counselling. However, I did do a little bit of research on the internet 
so um, chat groups with people who were expecting and where they were exchanging information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you took the printed off form from VCGS to your GP. They sent the form off. And um, what happened next? So they sent the form off and I attended a lab and had my blood drawn. Um, and I didn't think too much after that. I thought it was just another tick box exercise in being pregnant. Um, yeah. But about a week later, I did receive a call from my GP. Um, it was the receptionist at the GP calling me, asking me um, to come and see the GP. And I guess that was the first warning sign or red flag that something wasn't um, usual. And I, I, I didn't at that point in time turn my mind to that something um, different had come back with that result. I had just thought this was again part of the process. I had the appointment on a Friday morning and this appointment was booked um, quite early in the morning, one of the first appointments. So I arrived and I remember having this pang of anxiety about the gender, feeling quite anxious that this was the moment that I would find out whether I was expecting another boy or a girl. Um, but at that point in time, I still wasn't thinking that this was a test to check for trisomy or other chromosome differences. I, I just didn't turn my mind to that at all. And I waited in the waiting room and I observed that other patients were being seen first and even then, I didn't turn my mind to why am I the last patient in hindsight? Um, I, I think, oh, that was another warning sign or red flag that something had come up with that NIPT screen. So when I went into the GP's office, he said to me, I'm not going to beat around the bush. So the results from the um VCGS NIPT screen have come back and he produced the results to me and said it's come back at 99% chance of trisomy 21. Um, and that is how I found out. Um, mm. And what, what, what were your initial thoughts, reactions to that? information my initial thoughts I was in shock I think I went numb because I hadn't been expecting I never thought that I would be that one of course somebody has to be that one but I went by my previous experiences and just thought that would be an event that would never happen to me or us um, that this happens to other people and so my first thoughts were just um, shock um, and probably also sensing that I I knew something wasn't quite right from the beginning um, 
an uneasy feeling, but I had thought that uneasy feeling was how will I manage in my current circumstances with four children? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just wanted to go to work and zone out. Um, yeah, I guess you, I was appreciative of my GP being frank and direct with me mm, um, mm. and not beating around the bush um, and being quite factual. Um, my GP um, knew that I had struggled with the decision whether to continue um, or end the pregnancy earlier in time without this information. And I think in that appointment I said that I wanted to terminate because I had been in two minds earlier and the GP had said that um, the the accuracy was quite high with the NIPT and so um, we spoke about whether I would book a termination straight away or not. However, after my GP's appointment, I went into the car and I called VCGS. When I spoke to a genetic counsellor, they said that because the testing was new, it wasn't considered diagnostic and therefore they would advise anybody considering a termination to undertake invasive testing, being a CVS or an amniocentesis, to get a diagnostic test rather than relying entirely on the NIPT. Genetic counsellor Melody back in the Explainer episode gives more detail about invasive diagnostic tests, including CVS or chorionic villus sampling and amniocentesis. Melody also speaks about the fact that non-invasive prenatal screening doesn't provide a yes-no result. It isn't 100%. There can be false positives and there can be false negatives. Invasive diagnostic tests like CVS and amniocentesis are considered diagnostic, so are able to provide more of a yes-no result. So from receiving the results on the Friday morning from my GP, by Friday afternoon, I had spoken to a genetic counsellor from VCGS and I had an appointment booked with Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit at the Women's and Children's Hospital. So it it happened very quickly, quicker than I expected. And I went to work and I taught because I didn't know what else to do. Mm, mm. Sometimes that comfort in the familiar and the routine that's right. And it, it was mm. comforting at that point to mm. to distract myself mm. with mm. work and immerse myself in work for a little while because I knew that what was to come would be um, quite a difficult period in time. Um, is that day a blur now? It is a blur. Mm. Yes, it is a blur. Mm. 
Um, I think in some respects you go into survival mode um, and sometimes the way I cope with stress is immersing myself with work and keeping myself busy. Mm. Um, And later that evening I called my best friend who also lived interstate and she organised a flyover to be with me for that Tuesday. So she flew over on the Monday night so she could attend the maternal fetal medicine unit with me on that Tuesday. Oh, what a good friend. Yeah, yeah. So she has three children herself and so it was, um, I guess, really comforting to have her but um, heartwarming that her husband and three children um, changed their schedules so that she could be with me um, for that appointment on the Tuesday absolutely yeah and the weekend was a blur I do recall my daughter was starting high school so I do recall I had to buy school uniforms and I recall being at the uniform shop um, with her trying sizes and being present but not really present just Mm, mm. um yeah doing things that I had to do to keep the wheels in motion but also knowing that everything that I had expected and known about pregnancies had all of a sudden changed. Um, Yeah. And I I think as well um, in some sense, what I think a lot of people would ask themselves, why, why me? Um, what am I being punished for? What have I done to attract this? Um, those thoughts as well going through, but also in a lot of shock. Mm. Yeah, quite numb mm. and just in shock. Mm. It sounds like a bit of sort of autopilot over that weekend. Yeah, yeah. And so then the Tuesday appointment, tell, tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, and then I attended the appointment on the Tuesday, the maternal fetal medicine unit, and when I arrived it was quite distressing to see photos of babies behind the receptionist and then when I went to see the uh, maternal fetal medicine unit I felt that the doctors were um, very impartial. I um, They said that babies are born with Down syndrome. They explained their facial features, that um, there is intellectual disability. Uh, some attend mainstream school and some go to special school, but that they wouldn't be able to specify or provide me with information as to what else my baby would would have at that point, that it was a, a situation where they weren't in a position to tell me um, and that I had the option to wait um, I had the option to wait for an amniocentesis 
I had the option to undertake a CVS if I wanted to. I could have the CVS that day or I could wait um, and have a CVS in the following week if I wanted to. Um, and I chose to have the CVS that day to have it done there and then. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear about the the advice you were given around sort of not being able to offer any clarity around some of the the health conditions that um, that people with Down syndrome might be at a higher chance of of having is that that sort of the mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah so yeah yeah they were they weren't able I think and to be clear I think I had done some research over the weekend before that Tuesday's appointment mm -hmm. on the internet mm -hmm. and on the internet I had read all the different medical conditions that can accompany trisomy 21. Mm -hmm. So I had read that 50% of children born with trisomy 21 have heart conditions. Mm -hmm. I read that many babies experience a range of things and the list, it was gut-wrenching because it, when you read the list... It, it almost involves every system of the body and I guess when you're reading through that list, you're thinking, gosh, my baby has each and every one of them. Mm, mm. Thinking worst case scenario, thinking... Which I think is a natural response, isn't it? When you're, yeah, you're presented with a list of potential problems, you kind of, yeah, mm -hmm. how you understand that. Mm. And nobody's able to tell you of that list which ones you're going to be facing. Nobody can tell you whether you will have a baby with a heart issue or not, or whether you'll have a baby with a gastrointestinal issue or whether you'll have... Um, a baby that doesn't have any health issues and can attend a mainstream school. Nobody can tell you that. And that that's mm. the hardest thing is not knowing. Um, mm. I know when you, we first spoke, Belinda, you talked about um, uh, just wanting a crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have been so good to have a crystal ball and somebody to say here is the scenario if you continue this is this is what your child would be dealing with mm. and then that would make it so much easier as opposed to having all these possibilities and not knowing which one of all these possibilities that would apply. Mm, mm. So you're sort of in a situation where you have this significant piece of genetic information, but what that means um, is mm -hmm. is unknown. So it's it's hard, isn't it? That's right. Not knowing what that means for your child, and the only way you will ever know is continuing, and that. I think for me, I had a fear, what if I continue and it is the worst case scenario, can I live with that? Mm -hmm. And would I, would I hate myself for not 
doing something with the information earlier and I think that's the thoughts that ran through my mind at that point in time. Mm, mm. Um, so take me to the CVS. Mm -hmm. So I was offered a CVS that day mm -hmm. and whilst the CVS was being performed, I turned my head away because I just couldn't bear to look at the screen and my friend who was with me held my hand and the procedure went well. There weren't any complications or issues with performing the CVS, but I remember at the time thinking I just can't, I just can't look at the screen. Mm. The um, maternal fetal medicine doctor did tell me that the Nucol result was more than four millimetres and then I just knew that there was absolutely no chance that the CVS results would come back as a false positive. Mm, mm. So there was that thicker measurement, thicker than expected, yeah. which is a marker yeah. for Down syndrome. Yeah. So they said they'd send the results off for a fish test, which is under fluorescent light. Um, and that provides, I guess, a preliminary result within 24 to 48 hours. And they told me that it would take some time to get the full CVS results back. And that afternoon, I dropped my friend off to the airport. And because I was working with three children, I think I just continued on with the motions of making sure they had dinner and were getting up to go to school and getting to work. Um, and I confided in my closest work colleague and he looked at me directly and said, you will never work again. And I think that was a, a, a significant thing for me because I think that's how I cope ordinarily with stress so the idea that I would be a full-time carer ah he's a bit okay so uh, yeah so he yeah his thinking was having a child with a disability equates to not yep, working you'll never okay. work again yeah yep. if mm -hmm. if you continue if you continue mm -hmm. you'll never work again and that was a big oh, that really was startled me and I guess invoked all the fears that I had that this would be the end of the world um, if I proceeded. So in my mind, I was thinking a child that would be sick near death in hospital and I'd, that I'd never work again, that everything that I had worked towards would be thrown away. Um, yeah, a colossally bleak picture, Belinda. Yeah, yeah. I th mm, and I think mm, mm. that's what was running through my head at that point mm, in time. Mm, mm. And 24 hours after my CVS, I received a phone call from the midwives um, at the hospital and they said the fish results have come back and it's positive for trisomy 21. 
Mm. And at that point, I booked the termination. I think I did feel some urgency, some sense of I've got to, um, I've got to fix this problem. was with my friend we had gone through I think in the hospital appointment different procedures how to go about ending a pregnancy so whether it's surgical or through an induction if you like a medical um, abortion and at the time the doctors had told me that they didn't like to do surgical terminations after 15, 16 weeks because of the risk and that after that point that their preference would be because of the risk involved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to deliver, um, to go through um, an early induction if you like and at that point in time that petrified me. The idea of giving mm. birth to mm-hmm. um, a, a, a baby or a fetus just was not something I was happy to consider at that point in time. And so my mind then thought, I've got to, I've got to have this done before 15 weeks so that I can have a surgical termination. Mm-hmm. So I can, and I think at the time I was thinking to try and, um, avoid f- further trauma. I think I mm. was thinking this will make it easier, easier for everyone involved. So I was booked in for a surgical termination. I just wanted it over and done with as early as possible. That was a week from first finding out the trisomy 21 NIPT result. So I found out the NIPT result on the Friday and I was booked in for a surgical termination the following Friday. So it was very fast. It all happened within seven days. Mm. And what stands out from looking back at that, that time now? Uh, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. It's a, it's a lot of information to process. We do have a lot of information available to us on the internet. Um, I guess I was given the option of time, but at that point in time, I just wanted decisions to be made quickly and um, for it, the nightmare to end quickly. I was booked in for a surgical termination, but I ended up not going through with a surgical termination. The night before... I was curious as to the gestation and what um, what that would look like. And I came across some pro-life um, posts 
with quite some distressing images of fetuses in bits and torn apart. Mm. And so when I attended that, this was over the Thursday night Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. before I attended the appointment on the Friday and I shared that with um, the doctors um, that my preference was for um, her to be removed intact Mm. and they said they couldn't couldn't ensure that with a surgical procedure but when they went through my options they said if if keeping her intact was a, a big priority of mine that I would be better off um, or a, a better fit for a termination would be a, a medical abortion which would be inducing the pregnancy or inducing an abortion chemically um, to expel the pregnancy. And so at the last minute, I changed I changed termination methods because I, I couldn't bear the, the images of her being torn apart. Mm. Oh, just such, yeah, such, you know, I don't really have any words. And they, at that point, did you feel like you were responded to how you would have wanted to be? Like, was was the care and support placed around you what you, yeah, you know, yep, I, wanted and needed at that time? Yeah, I, I did feel that I was well supported and that everybody mm. was caring for me. I did feel that, and I, I did mm. feel that I was pre- presented with many options. I, I, mm. I don't, however, I do at the same time feel that once you undertake NIPT screening, that you are swept into uh, a series of decisions and you are almost swept onto a conveyor belt that if you choose to have NIPT testing, that chances are if you come back with a positive result for trisomy 21 that you end up proceeding with a termination Mm, mm, it's mm. almost like a snowball domino effect that one leads to the other that leads to the other and I think uh, I went from thinking this is a pregnancy that I need to make a decision on to then delivering um, a baby that you can see is fully formed, so it's quite a traumatic experience to go through that in a birthing unit where you can hear other infants crying and Mm. knowing, I guess, the realisation I'm pregnant but... This is how it's all ending. But at the same time, I did feel that they were my decisions. I do not feel that anybody imposed decisions on me. I I did feel that I controlled all those decisions. I did feel like I was in control of the process. Mm, mm, But mm. it did happen very quickly. 
Mm. And I, I think I did a lot of research on the internet, which can be quite overwhelming. And I did join, I think, a, a group of mothers over 40 with children with Down syndrome on Facebook for a short period then. And I, I just was, I think, in a state of shock. It was too, it was, it was too much. Mm. It strikes me as this very short period of time, isn't it, to absorb so much information to make, you know, a number of significant decisions mm. during that time. And as you were saying, you know, thankfully you got well supported and well informed. And then, of course, you've got, you know, all the time in the world to then reflect on that. And yeah. I think, it, is it two two and a half? years ago yeah it would be two and a half years ago now Mm, and so mm, mm. the decision I made happened very very quickly and I I chose to take the fastest options and the fastest Mm. route so I was given option to wait but at the time I just felt this pressure I had put on myself to decide Mm, quickly and mm. I think a bit of that was fear if I if I wait too long, I'll lose this. I'll lose this option to end the pregnancy, mm. and I think that was driving a lot of me because I was thinking, after 15, 16 weeks, I won't. I'll lose the option for a surgical termination. I was also thinking, my baby's growing. Uh, the further along it gets in gestation, the harder it's going to be. Mm. But my experience now tells me that it will be hard no matter when, whether you terminate earlier or later, I guess that loss will still be there. But for mm. some reason I thought, and I think it's a, a misconception for many people facing a termination for medical reasons, that the earlier the termination is carried out, the less grief or that you might escape with no grief or no trauma or no loss associated with that. What helped me afterwards? I had grief counselling and an appointment with my GP alternating mm-hmm. once every fortnight. So I I aimed towards getting to that weekly appointment. The mm. support groups were uh, immensely invaluable. But what really helped me was afterwards finding information that 90 to 95% of women faced in that same dilemma that I was make the same decision, which made me feel like I wasn't alone. And I guess that was very comforting. Mm. And I, I know, Belinda, that you're involved with a number of Facebook groups supporting people who have received unexpected prenatal screening results and you're talking about what you have kind of learnt from your involvement with those groups. That's right and I think the biggest takeaway message with those groups is that many of those women had wanted pregnancies and that their, um, their babies were loved and wanted but they had detected quite varying different degrees of severe 
abnormalities. So I guess some women, for example, might have cases of encephaly or other variations with brain abnormalities. So the brain hasn't formed or um, many other trisomies, trisomy 13, trisomy 18. But what they all share is that all these pregnancies were wanted and loved. And I guess that's the often the misconception out there in, say, the abortion debate that late-term abortions for medical reasons are because people don't love or want a baby. I think those decisions are really, really difficult, but a lot of those women will carry on in silence. Um, there are many women out there who have had a termination for medical reasons, but it's not openly discussed. Mm, mm. And a lot of them will share their, I guess, lifelong grief. The early days are, are pretty horrific afterwards, but you learn to live and you learn to live with that grief and you learn to adapt. It is a, um, a really conflicting place to be because of, I guess, that deep grief afterwards and that that darkness I fell pregnant straight away which I don't know what I was thinking I wasn't thinking straight at all but I fell pregnant mm. before I even mm. had another cycle mm. so that next cycle I fell pregnant again and I went on to have a pregnancy without any chromosome difference picked up and I guess feeling torn between if I hadn't have terminated the earlier pregnancy, I wouldn't have the child that I do have here. And what does that mean? Mm. Should I be wishing that he isn't here? But at the same time, also thinking a lot of what ifs. So being out and about, I can readily identify somebody with Down syndrome. I can see someone in a in a crowd that I may have not noticed before this experience and I guess looking and searching and thinking what would my daughter have looked like would she have looked like that would she have presented the same would she be in the art gallery like this person that I'm seeing would she be um, catching a bus would she be attending school and I guess I will never ever know it's it's sliding doors. I'll never know. And that is part and parcel of making that decision and mm, having mm. to go back and remind yourself that is the information you had at the time and that was the best you could do with that information at that point in time and having to make a decision with so many uncertainties. Mm. Mm, yeah. Mm. The the only certainty you have is the definitive diagnosis of trisomy 21. Yeah, that genetic information. Yeah, that you've got that genetic information and mm. you can access 
I guess, medical journals as to what is reported with health conditions that are reported in people with trisomy 21, but nobody can tell you about your particular pregnancy with trisomy 21 or nobody can tell you Mm, mm. what to expect. And you have to, I guess, I could have waited longer in the pregnancy to see whether there would be a um, anatomical issues. So whether I would wait later to see if there were intestinal issues or whether there would be heart issues. But the problem was, for me, there were also so many other things that can't be detected in a ultrasound Mm-hmm. that I was mindful of and I thought that I'd still be faced with I can't I don't have any certainty because I can't I can't know about all the other things um, intellectual uh, or learning a disability or hearing or, or vision loss and diabetes and thyroidism and Alzheimer's or dementia Hirschsprung all the things that I thought I can't nobody can tell me yeah yeah, and, yeah. and look, I, I, people, I guess people within the Down syndrome community would say, you know, there's so many uncertainties attached, you know, whether, whether, uh, you know, you have 46 or 47 yeah. chromosomes yeah, or yeah. a mixture of the two, but I guess, you know, you're, you're being presented with yeah. that, and I, you know, that yeah. long list, um, and you know, you, it's demanding your attention and your consideration at yeah. that, that point. Mm. And I think, that's true. Ordinarily in a pregnancy, there is nothing to tell you or you, you can't screen for other other conditions um, that are not available to be de- detected. But I guess we live in ignorant bliss for those other conditions. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. You've got this information and with that information, you have to make a decision even if you choose mm, mm. not to make a decision that's a decision in and of itself you've got information which means mm. you are at a crossroads and i guess that's the key do you want that information and i think that's probably the critical thing with nipt testing that people need to know that the whole purpose of it is to give you this information and once you've got that information you're on this slippery slope not that I regret my decision and I think quite honestly if I was presented with the same information I might make the same decision again I don't know but once you've got that information you're in a different place in a pregnancy to somebody who is without that information or living in hope and that Whichever way you go, I think you're you're damned. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you choose to continue, you will have these people who will say, why didn't you terminate and pass judgment? And if you terminate, you will have people pass judgment and say, how could you do that? You didn't know whether your child was going to be one of the... Mm. Um, people that are less affected by all these conditions why was that for you to determine and I think that's exactly what you you lay out there is why a podcast like this is so important where we can hear from people who've 
made different decisions and that's okay. You know, they're the decisions that were right for them at that time. I wonder, can, can you talk to me about, uh, you, you grew up with deaf parents. Yes. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your childhood experiences might have mm-hmm. um, impacted your dis- or influenced your decision making. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I guess I have experienced through my life seeing my parents and people in the deaf community excluded and seeing the hardship of not being included in community and the constant advocacy battle. So, for example, my parents are over 65, so they're not participants of the NDIS scheme and there's this huge gap in delivery of services and so there's this constant advocacy and marginalisation and I think that probably scarred me somewhat that I felt I didn't have the stamina to continue on, I guess, until until my death because for me, being a person of 40, projecting forward, a person living with Down syndrome has a life expectancy um, of 55 to 60 years at, at the time I was making a decision, so I was projecting forward 95, 100 and just thinking, I don't know if I will be capable of um, caring for a person who will care for a person. And then having this, I guess, cynical view, who will care for my child and not trusting government and not trusting society at large to do the right thing by my child because I had seen what had happened to my parents. Mm, mm, mm. So at Christmas time, with all their other hearing relatives, not having an interpreter present, And I guess that experience of how difficult it is living with disability or in a community that uses Auslan, seeing all the barriers Mm. and Mm. asking myself, would I choose this for my child? So for me, as a coder, a child of deaf adults, Not that I live with any resentment, but the fact that society doesn't necessarily look after families and people who are supporting people living with disability Mm, mm. and feeling quite cynical as well because what I've seen in the deaf community is that the number of deaf people have decreased with the rubella vaccination. So my mother became deaf through German measles when her mother contracted German measles while she was carrying my mother and we don't see as many rubella babies now because we have the vaccination which has in turn meant in turn that has meant the number of people in the deaf community has decreased which in turn means that less services Mm. and we see similar things with with the use of non-invasive prenatal screening and the down syndrome community so it's an interesting um kind of comparison, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that was a fear of mine in making a decision. Will my child be the only person left living with Down syndrome? And what would that mean for services? Mm. And what would that mean for inclusion? Mm, mm. And what would that mean for accessibility? I was aware at the time, this is a population that's decreasing in numbers. 
and that this might have adverse results for my child if I continue. Yeah, it's a catch-22, isn't it? I think the world thinks that 50% of people choose to continue, but statistically only 5 to 10% continue. And I think that's important information before people decide to do an NIPT test to decide are we people who will terminate or not because if you're not going to terminate chances are if you do the test you are likely to terminate if you get a positive result statistically if you choose to do the test and you get a positive result Mm. chances are you will end up ending the pregnancy and so where people say we're just going to find out we're just if we if we found out we wouldn't do anything about it change anything and i think that's my biggest goat when you Mm. see pregnancy groups online and it is ignorance i'm not saying that uh, you know they say it out of spite but you will read many people say i'm doing an nipt test but i if the result came back i wouldn't change anything or i would never terminate they are statements that are quite misinformed. I think people are fooling themselves when they make those statements because the data shows 90% terminate. And so you really need to know what you're going to do before undertaking that test. And I'm, mm, mm. I, I'm always supportive of either choice and women from the termination support community would be supportive of either choice. They are supportive of people who choose to continue, even if that's a decision they haven't made themselves, because they can relate to those women and those families more. That could have been us. Yeah. And we do yeah. find ourselves protective of that community because that could have been our child. And so we have this sense of connection, even though we've made a different choice and have ended up in completely different outcomes and living different lives, we still have this fierce, this fierce protective nature Mm, mm. of, of the community and supportive to ensure that resources are provided to families that do choose to continue as well as those families who choose to terminate that it should be a personal decision for each family but if families do decide to continue that they are adequately supported by our government by our society at large and that there is equally inclusion as much as that hurts us because that's a trigger for us to see of uh, triggering our own loss but equally those families could have been our children and we would want them to be provided with government assistance resources um, ensuring that NDIS continues and inclusion and not seeing discrimination. Mm. Belinda I want to thank you for trusting me and I think ultimately trusting listeners with your experience of prenatal screening and termination. As we've talked about today, you know, termination is the most common decision made following a diagnosis of chromosomal difference, including Down syndrome, but it is rarely discussed. And when it is, the conversation can become divisive and highly emotive. And 
ultimately it's not helpful for the prospective parents who could benefit from hearing people's experiences to inform their own thinking and decision making. I feel like what you've spoken about today, as with the experiences shared in each of the other episodes, will just be such an important contribution to a more nuanced understanding about the realities of screening and what it means to be in the position of having to make a decision following a prenatal diagnosis. I think in particular how you've managed to sort of tease out the tension between the broader implications of this technology for how we understand disability and difference with the right to choose and then the added ethical complexity when that choice relates to ending a particular kind of pregnancy. I also wanted to say that the people who've been part of the podcast and today is the final interview of the series, while none of you know each other, you all share the experience of having stood at a crossroads and at that crossroads, you've been required to make a time-sensitive decision about continuing or ending a pregnancy. Throughout the podcast, I've spoken to people who've chosen to continue their pregnancy following a high chance result for Down syndrome, another who has chosen termination following a trisomy 18 diagnosis, and a couple who chose termination in relation to chromosomal deletion. Everyone, no matter their decision, has stressed that the story that they're sharing is theirs, that while the decision they made was the best decision for them, for their family, based on the genetic information they received and their circumstances, it's okay that others might make a different decision. So this is really just a very long-winded way of saying thank you for your generosity, Belinda, for your thoughtfulness and for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Elizabeth Callanan, and you've been listening to One Screened Every Minute. If you want to check in about terminology or specifics, the Explainer episode with genetic counsellor Melody is the best place to start. And for more information and links, there are notes for each episode over at onescreenedeveryminute.com. Thanks to Everpatient series producer Joel Supple and to the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Disability Institute and the Vasudhara Foundation for supporting the podcast and allowing these important stories to be shared. Thank you.